You're listening to the Namely Marley podcast, episode number 41. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Namely Marley podcast. I'm your host, Marley. Um, you know, the goal of this podcast is to focus on adding a little creative, healthy, and passion-filled living to your day every day. Today, I'm talking with Anna Cummins. She is the co-founder of the Five Gyres Institute. I'm so excited to share this discussion with you. Anna is such an inspiration with her passion for the environment and our oceans and uh, uh, lots of other things, too. So I was really uh, interested and excited to talk with her, uh, and I feel like you know, I just feel like we're poised to make some really big changes for the environment. We just have to take action on it. And I don't know, does that surprise you to hear me say that? Because I don't know, you can look at, you know, the current state of affairs, obviously the political situation, and say that things feel kind of dismal. And I get you, I I definitely have had those moments too, where I feel that sense of, you know, gloom and doom. We know we now have somebody heading up the Environmental Protection Agency who is cozy with the oil industry. And he has been active, you know, he's actively sued the EPA many, many times. I mean, that alone is pretty dismal. So then how in the world can I feel optimistic about our environment? Well, I don't know. I just feel like we've made a lot of really great advancements uh, in alternative sources of energy. To me, that is where the excitement is, right? I mean, to me, I just have this vision in my mind of everybody who's like, it's like they've got oil and they're like holding on to the very last part of it that they can and they're trying to get every little bit of it out of the ground and and then, you know, then we have on this other side, you know, everybody is moving towards alternative sources of fuel, that's the that's the future. That's where we're headed towards. And, you know, like Elon Musk announced last year, I believe it was, that he has created a new a roof tile that will extract solar energy and, and have it available for homes and that it's going to be affordable. So those kinds of advancements, I think, are huge. The more that we can take, you know, those kinds of uh, technologies and have them more readily available to all of us, ah, that's when we're going to start to see some really real changes. Also, I feel like we're seeing a groundswell of activism that we haven't seen in years. I mean, sure, a lot of that is, you know, focused on this very real need to protect our democracy. But part of that movement is the need to protect the environment as well. And so I love what Anna said in our discussion that if change is not coming from the top, then we have to create a groundswell and make changes come from the bottom up. And If that feels overwhelming to think about, just know that there are things that you can do personally. You can personally make a difference. Let's just think about this. If you and I make a difference and we tell others what we're doing and they join in, then little by little, that can really start to add up. And we're seeing that kind of movement going around all over the country. So after talking with Anna, I'm even more committed to reducing the amount of plastic that I use, especially the disposable kind. So you know, like when you go to Chipotle and you use that plastic fork and then you toss it or when you go to the grocery store and you forget to bring your cloth grocery bags. I mean, I have been there many, many times, but I am making a committed effort to being a better steward of the environment by carrying around my own straws and and my own forks and things like that. It's easy to do, but it's just a matter of changing our habits. And that, that's really critical. So Anna and I talk about that today. 
I hope you listened to my discussion with Anna and you feel that same sense of passion and inspiration that I did. So let's get straight to it. Here's today's feature interview with Anna Cummins. Hey everyone, I am so happy to have Anna Cummins. She is co-founder of the Five Gyres Institute and she's with me today. Anna, welcome to the Namely Marley podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. I am really excited to talk with you. I mean, I have been interested in things focused on the environment for a while, but this is kind of a new approach for this podcast. So I'm really excited um, to talk with you about this some more today. But, you know, as a way of a background, would you mind talking with everybody about your background and what kind of led you to co-found this institute? Sure. And it's uh, kind of perfect to do this on your podcast because my entry into caring about the environment and sustainability was when I decided to be a vegetarian at the age of 14. And my my parents were concerned that I wouldn't get enough protein. So I started arming myself with information. I read Diet for a New America. and, um, And then I was able to report back to them. This is actually not just about animal rights, but it's also about sustainability, all the water and grain, et cetera, that go into our our meat production. And you know all about that. So that's what started to help me connect the dots between everyday actions, the things that we do from what we eat to what we buy to brushing our teeth and you name it is somehow connected to the environment. And then fast forward many years, um, I saw this documentary when I was living in Spain about how we design spaces Um, It went into living machines and using plants to filter water. And a light bulb went off for me. I just thought, this makes so much sense. Why don't we do, why don't we design our cities and our buildings this way? So when I came back to the U.S., um, I started teaching high school ecology at a school called New Roads in in Santa Monica. And that's what really um, sealed the deal for me to follow this path. Um, So that's how I first got started. And then with the issue of plastic, Um, You know, then I decided to go to graduate school in Monterey to study environmental policy. And while I was there, I went to a lecture about plastic in the ocean. I knew nothing about it. This was in 2001. And again, another epiphany that no one one is talking about this issue. It's a massive problem in the Pacific because back then we only really had data from the North Pacific Ocean. Um, So... I'll pause there for a minute because I could go on and on. But that's kind of how I first learned about the plastics issue. Well, first of all, I have to say I'm I'm always inspired when I talk to people who at the age of 14, they were able to make a decision like, hey, I'm going to go vegetarian because I feel like at 14, I was so clueless. <laughs> well, I was I was clueless too. But my, my father actually uh, dragged us all to a Buddhist retreat up in Santa Barbara. <sighs> and my my little sister and I were thinking, why are we here? We're not Buddhists. What are we doing here? And then, <laughs> and then my dad uh, skipped out two days into it because he uh, had to go back to L.A., for something really important. And then we're thinking, great, you drag us to this thing, you abandon us here. But then after a few days, it was so calming, you know, a lot of meditation, all the food was vegetarian, I felt amazing driving back to Los Angeles. And I announced, I'm going to be a vegetarian. Um, and so did everyone else in my family, but I actually did stick with it. So first, I cut out red meat, then six months later, chicken, then fish, then I oh. went vegan. Yeah. Um, and it was through all this reading I, I did. I'm no longer vegan, to be a full disclosure. Um, but uh, it, it really opened my eyes to, um, you know, the choices that we make every day and how they connect to the larger world. Yes. And I bet that even though you're no longer vegan, I bet vegetables and plants make up a big part of your diet. 
They do. And I'm an avid backyard gardener. So I try and grow as much as I can. And I'm mildly obsessed with compost. (laughs) Um, uh, So yeah, I try and grow as much as I can. And I'm definitely very conscious of where my food comes from. Ooh, I'm writing that down because we're going to talk about compost in a minute. But um, so yeah, I, I I love that you were talking about, you know, you traveled abroad and you saw this different way of designing um, your living space. I, I imagine it was more compact or minimalist uh, maybe? Well, I mean, at the time I was, you know, living in a tiny room in, in Barcelona. Um, uh. Our 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 space here in Los Angeles is very small. There are three of us and our living space is, is less than 700 square feet. Um and we've lived on tiny spaces in boats, so I'm, you know, I'm I'm conscious of the space around me. But that really was what just opened opened yeah. my eyes to there are better ways to design our cities, our our living spaces, and yes. our systems. Well, even in our our city, I, we live in a suburb, but there's this one little community that they're developing that is more focused on the way communities used to be, which is everything is walkable. Mm-hmm. I just think uh, I agree with you. Like, if we could have more thought brought into our design of how cities are built, that you know, that that people can actually walk uh, more, that would be good. <laughs> yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. Living in the heart of a city that is not the most walkable city here in Los Angeles. So I love that you you got this moment of passion about the plastic and and its role in the environment. And when I first heard about the topic of a gyre, I I actually imagined like, you know, I think maybe even somebody said it, it's the size of Texas. So I imagine this big, huge pile of plastic in the ocean, but that's not necessarily what it is. I imagined the very same thing. And actually, after I heard Captain Moore give that lecture, I, I talked to anyone who would listen. I was ranting and raving. Did you know there's an island of uh, plastic the size of Texas in the middle of the Pacific? And I had that image until I actually got myself invited out to the gyre for the first time in 2008. Um, so just to back up a little bit, after that lecture, I reached out to Captain Moore, and eventually he invited me to sail out to Guadalupe Island off the coast of Baja, California. Mm-hmm. And that experience, um, again, really just crystallized that this is an issue I want to take on. We collected stomach samples from these large seabirds called Laysan albatross, and just about every single stomach sample I collected was full of plastic. And then coming back to Los Angeles, I was describing this experience to my mom um, at Pete's Coffee in Santa Monica as we were in line. And watching this parade of disposable cups, you know, yes. leaving the leaving the counter, but most people were sitting right there in the store drinking yes. their coffee, right. and it, it it again was another light bulb that inspired me to start a whole campaign and a blog called Bring Your Own, and and that's when I got deeply immersed in plastic. That was like in two thousand five. Um, so I started really doing research into reusables and how easy it is to make that switch and how the gyre really begins on land in every coffee shop, in every household, you know, around the world. And and that goes from, you know, everything that we touch that's plastic, if you kind of go through your mind and think about like, what are some ways that I can, I don't know, like uh, replace that with something that's not plastic? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but just quickly going back to that you know, experience sailing across the gyre. So we talked about the Texas size island. I expected to see that even though I had read about the topic extensively. And what I saw on that first expedition from Hawaii back to Los Angeles with Algalita and Captain Moore was a blue, pristine ocean. You know, mm. looking, looking around 360, it was just endless blue, um, an amazing experience. 
But when we pulled up our trawls, and that's the device that we use to skim the ocean surface, every single trawl sample, every single sample from the ocean surface was filled with this confetti of broken down plastic. And that's when I realized it's not a patch. It's not an island. We've now taken to calling it a plastic smog because it's so diffuse. And really, we have done about 60,000 miles of ocean sailing across all five gyres and seen that smog pervasive across the entire world. When you say when you say trawling the ocean surface, are you talking about the top of the water or the bottom? The the top of the water. I, oh I know when people when people hear trawling, they think yes. of that horrible fishing technique yeah. where you basically skin, you know, rake right. the entire ocean floor. What we do is we take something called a manta trawl. And now my husband Marcus, who's our um, who's my co-founder and also our director of research, has designed a bunch of different uh, sampling devices that can be used in different conditions. And it's like a modified pool skimmer. You skim the surface of the ocean with a net that can collect tiny particles up to you know, a third of a millimeter. And then we can look at, we can quantify how many plastic particles there are per square meter of ocean and then extrapolate a- across the entire ocean surface. So it's one thing to have this image of plastic at the bottom of the ocean, but it's quite an, when it feel, when it's at the top, it feels like that I can totally get this smog that you're talking about. It just sounds like plastic is all throughout the ocean. Yeah, it is across the ocean surface. And, you know, the interesting thing is that there are many different kinds of plastic. There's polypropylene and polyethylene and, you know, so many, so many different kinds. Some of those float. About half of all plastics will float. But the other half, like polyethylene terephthalate, which is what our everyday water bottles are made from, those will sink, mm-hmm. as well as like polycarbonate and um, other kinds of plastics sink. So we find it on the ocean floor, we find it on the ocean surface, and we find it throughout the water column. And are there certain areas of the ocean that are worse than others? You know, the most research has been done in the North Pacific Gyre and, you know, our research as well as the research of Al Galita and other people who've gone out there um, highlight that this is likely the worst um, in terms of the concentration. And it makes sense. If you think about the North Pacific Ocean, we've got the United States and Canada and Mexico and then Asia on the other side, high consumer uh, countries all kind of feeding into this gyre. Um But on the flip side, there's also research showing that in countries where you don't have the same waste management infrastructure that we have here in the United States, um, that there's also a big problem there. Um, So it's it's really a, a global issue. Sounds like it. And so let's talk about some of the things that I think we can do as individuals. I mean, well, before we go into that, actually, I would like to talk about, I imagine there's got to be some... Um, detrimental effects to having this much plastic in the ocean, whether it's, you know, if we're talking about fish, you know, the the animals that live there, but also to us as well. Absolutely. I'm sure anyone listening has seen some of those horrific images of yes. turtles, turtles and seabirds yes. and even larger marine mammals trapped in plastic. So they get Pack. entangled. Yeah, exactly. The six pack rings, which, you know, now when we speak to children, most of them know you're supposed to cut those up. It's, mm-hmm. it's great to see how quickly that generational information can pass on. But then it's, it's not just entanglement, it's also ingestion. Many different uh, marine animals will ingest plastic, they eat it, mistaking it for food, or maybe they're attracted to some sort of organism stuck to that plastic. Yeah. And that, that can lead to big problems for the animals, but then also for us. 
the research on plastic is now going smaller and smaller and smaller. So we're looking at microplastics now and nanoparticles of plastic and many different species down to planktonic organisms, which, you know, base of the food chain have been shown to ingest these particles. These particles are loaded with contaminants, things like pesticides and PCBs. Those contaminants can then leach from the plastic into the organism, up the food chain, and ultimately wind up on our dinner plate. So somebody in um, Kansas City, Missouri, may be thinking, well, I'm not near the ocean. This is not a problem for me. But if you, I mean, you know, obviously I'm vegan, so I'm not eating fish. But if you are eating fish that's that's been out in the ocean, it's part of that food chain. And it's that means that, that those contaminants that the fish is eating, you're eating. Absolutely. And, you know, it's not just plastic. It's it's runoff from, from urban areas and agriculture and industry. Yes. Um, but, you know, Marcus and I were really concerned about this component, this, you know, part of, of the plastics issue. And it kind of is what led us to start Five Gyres. Um, so when we were on that voyage in 2008 from Hawaii back to LA, um, I had known Marcus for about five months at that point. And in the middle of the garbage mm. patch, he fished out a little piece of derelict uh, fishing gear and made a ring and proposed. Oh, uh, that's so nice. <laughs> yeah, kind of a trashy romance. And, <laughs> and, and that's good. And, and then, um, you know, he really wanted to do a big project to raise awareness. And so we built a boat in 2008 after that voyage out of 15,000 plastic bottles, which he then sailed across the gyre with our friend Joel. And we followed that up with a bicycle tour from Vancouver to Mexico. We didn't have kids at the time, so yeah. had a lot more. Um, and along the way, two things happened. One, um, in Portland, Oregon, we had my sister, who's a surgeon, draw my blood and send it up to a lab where they did the analysis on my blood serum and found trace levels of PCBs, DDT, flame retardants, wow. and PFCs. So that was just to sort of highlight the fact that this cocktail of chemistry that we're putting out into the world does actually come back to us. Oh, wow, sec- that is huge. Go ahead, yeah, go ahead. and then, sorry, the second thing was that along that bike journey, everyone asked the same question. Uh, is plastic a global issue? What about the other gyres in the world? And so that's what inspired us to start Five Gyres in 2009 to really expand the issue to a global level. And just in case somebody is listening and they don't really understand uh, that there are actually are five gyres out. I mean, that, that it's it's beyond. That's not about the plastic. That's actually a geographical term, isn't it? Yeah, a gyre is a natural phenomenon. It's just like a massive, slow rotating vortex, like a huge whirlpool in the ocean that's comprised of rotating uh, currents and winds and and. Um, uh, so it's the currents and the winds and the rotation of the earth create this huge ocean system that circulates around and plastic can get trapped in that. Mm. Just so much that, uh, you know, just listening to you, I realize there's just so much that we need to know. It's like a very complex thing that, you know, here we are just this one person and yet we are touched by all of this that's going on globally. It's, uh, you know, it's inspiring and also at the same time, it can feel a little overwhelming too. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, it can feel overwhelming. So if people are really interested in the science, they can go to our website at fivegyres.org and and nerd out. (laughs) So why why don't we talk about, you know, solutions, what what your listeners can actually do? 
And I'm really inspired by this topic. And, and, you know, as you and I were talking before we hit record, I mean, I feel like right now there's a lot of angst going on in our country. People feel uh, like, you know, they're concerned about who's going to be the secretary of the EPA. And they're concerned about a lot of things that are going on. And I like to try to find some positive ways to channel some of that angst. I mean, you're sure you can go on a march and you can be very vocal. I think that's all a part of it as well. But I think there are some things that we can do personally that can make a huge difference. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we all share the same angst, or at least I'm sure that your listeners feel that sense of angst. And at the same, same time, we're also seeing this outpouring of activism yes. and mobilizing and people uh, really looking to build bridges, which yes. you know, we need to make environmental issues and justice and human rights and all those other issues less partisan and more human. Oh, that's a quote to live by. I love that. Yes. Because, okay, so here's some things that I, I was just thinking, maybe you could list out some of the things that, um, you know, we can do, you know, like you were talking about plastic bags for groceries. I mean, one of the easiest things, I say easy, although it has to be a habit, and that is using cloth, cloth grocery bags. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there with habit. So, yes. <laughs> you know, um, there, there are a lot of things that individuals can do to reduce their footprint. And when, when I think about the broad category of solutions, I think about like what can corporations do, what can policymakers do, and what can individuals do both to align their values, but also to push those bigger things forward. Um, so on our website, we have a number of pledges that people can take. Uh, you know, pledge to not use uh, styrofoam, pledge to not use microbeads, uh, different things like that. Uh, the idea of a pledge is that if you commit to do something and if you adopt that behavior like over a period of a week or 10 times, then it starts to stick. And then you just never, you know, you either never leave the house without those reusables or you never take a plastic bag. So that's an easy one. Just bring that bag with you seven to 10 times and it'll start to stick. Yes. Um, so there are so many things that we can do to reduce our footprint. And, and the easy, obvious ones are, let's take plastic bags. We talked about that. Plastic straws. Um, there's a lot of interest right now, some great campaigns coming together across the country about not using straws and also getting your local restaurant, coffee shop, et cetera, to either not offer plastic straws make them upon request. So yeah. the consumer, the, you know, the customer has to ask for it or provide paper straws, which have been around for a long time. There's a company called Aardvark Straws that makes these, you know, lovely paper straws and they are compostable. That was Aardvark? Aardvark, like Aardvark. the animal. Like yeah, the animal. Yeah. yeah, you know, I was at a restaurant recently where um, they brought me a glass with a straw. You know, I had tea, so a glass of tea with straw in it. And then I didn't even finish that. And they brought me a completely new glass of tea with another straw on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a great um, opportunity right there to, yeah. you know, engage the, uh, the manager in a conversation. And there are many, many, many restaurants and coffee shops across the country doing this now. So they'd be in good company. And some great resources there. The Last Plastic Straw is a great website. Uh, Jackie Nunez is an, is an amazing activist in Santa Cruz who's really taken the straw issue by storm. And then uh, a strawless ocean campaign that, that's coming together. Oh, that's wonderful. And another easy thing to do there is I I just have a straw that I bring with me and I keep it in my bag and, and it's very easy to pull it out. And I, you know, just 
so much easier that way. Absolutely. So, you know, all these small things that people can do, um, they're great. They're obviously not going to change the issue alone, but right. this is, this is where individuals can, you know, a vote with their pocketbook, you know, just try and reduce their individual footprint, but then share it with their community, with their friends, with their family, with their social media feed. Um, and those actions start to add up, um, you know, and, Right now, we, we spoke about the angst sort of in our, our national politics right now. If we're not going to see a lot of change coming from the top down, we need to build a groundswell from the, top, from, from the ground up. Yes. And, it, and if enough uh, citizens and individuals come together with these kinds of actions, then we can start to influence corporations to make a change. You know what, I have seen that happening more and more. And I'm, I'm inspired by companies that do that. I mean, for another example, um, uh, would be companies that are using recycled plastics to make things. Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, companies can reduce their footprint, they can change the design of their products, they can reduce or eliminate the packaging, either voluntarily, or we as um, we the people can come together and really push for legislation that you know, demands that change. And a great example of that was what we as a community were able to do with microbeads. You know, we made this discovery in the Great Lakes that we found all these plastic particles that we trace back to personal care products. And then mm. as, a, as a coalition of groups, Five Gyres and Story of Stuff and Surfrider Foundation and many groups coming together, we were able to influence first California-wide policy and then President Obama signed a national bill to eliminate plastic microbeads from commerce by 2018. So that really shows the power of when people come together and collaborate, we can we can really push corporate change. And let's talk about those microbeads. So that's basically those facial uh, exfoliators that people would buy that would, you know, scrub their face, but they were full of these little tiny plastic beads. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they were. And there are natural alternatives. So a lot of brands yes. are doing doing it the right way. I mean, if you go into any Whole Foods or, or natural market, you'll see many different exfoliating products that don't have plastic microbeads. They have sugar or sand or ground up apricot kernels, uh -huh. or you can just use a loofah. Um, the plastic microbeads are, are so small that they're not filtered out by average wastewater treatment plants, and they go right into our lakes, rivers, and oceans. Wow. And so, you know, it's a, probably an example of a problem that people didn't know existed until um, someone did, like you said, and studied the water and realized that all these plastic microbeads were, were actually out now in lakes and rivers. And and uh, what I, and, and I love what I also love about this is it's a great example of how uh, we do need change to come from the top and, you know, a, a grand swell from the bottom. Obviously, we want that as well, but we need policies that kind of help help foster that, too. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's exactly what we're we're formulating a campaign right now that we're going to launch in the spring called Foam Free. And there's a lot of agreement now in the sort of the plastic pollution movement that's come together in a big way in the last few years that polystyrene, uh, people know of styrofoam, that's the same, same thing, but it's got air in it. It's just expanded. Mm. Um, so styrofoam slash polystyrene is, is a plastic that just needs to go. It's yeah. not recyclable. It's highly toxic. It's got styrene, which is a, um, a a chemical that's been linked to cancer in animals and suspected as a human carcinogen. And it can migrate out of products. 
Um, so we're, we're really formulating uh, a campaign to get people on board with either pushing for legislation in their community, supporting existing bans, if there is an existing ban, and making changes in their everyday life um, to just get rid of styrofoam, um, encourage their businesses to follow suit. Um, and we're hoping that this is kind of the next big battleground. And I have a favorite tip on how to not have styrofoam in your life. Because in my life, it seems like um, I don't really run into styrofoam all that often. But mm -hmm. if I'm going out to eat and I order, you know, I order something that they always bring these huge portions and I take something to go. And it's usually, it feels like oftentimes it's a styrofoam container. Even pizza places now have, you know, a lot of them have boxes, but then some of them lately have been doing these, these styrofoam containers. I just carry my own plastic containers with me when I go to a restaurant because I know I'm going to want to take things. I, that way I'm using my own reusable plastic con, you know, container and restaurants never mind. Yeah, absolutely. So bringing your own water bottle, straw, yes. you mentioned straws before, your canvas bag, you can have them all in sort of your, your urban survival kit that has your water <laughs> bottle. Your, your coffee cup, your straw, if you're, uh, you know, if you have a reusable straw yes. and your um, to-go wear. Um, I have a little uh, reusable kit that has a fork, um, a chopsticks, knife made from bamboo and a little, uh, and a little packet that you can clip onto your bag um, called to-go wear, which is great. So oh, you can cool. have your reusable kit with you. But then again, like we said before, there are a lot of people out there and that alone is not going to move the needle unless we do this as part of a community. Yes. Um, and I just want to direct people's attention to a new um, collaboration of groups called Break Free from Plastic. There's a website and it's, a, it's an effort to build a movement around plastic and really bring everyone together to, to scale our efforts. I love that. So that way people can feel like personally they're taking action, but they're also participating in a larger movement. I think, you know, that maybe can persuade companies to, to break away from using plastic. You know, that's important. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like what if the coffee shop would offer, like, I feel like when I go to a coffee shop, they, they are going to automatically go towards the, the, the reusable or the throwaway cup versus the, you know, ceramic cup that just stays right there, you know, but if I'm, I may not even be leaving, I may know I'm going to drink that, that hot tea, and then I'm going to, I'm going to leave it, I want to take it to go. So it seems like it should be a ceramic mug, right? Yeah, you know, one of our um, amazing interns last year, Brent Terry did an extensive survey of Starbucks, he went to Starbucks, you know, every day um, across Los Angeles and watched people's behavior. And he saw that the vast majority of people are getting a disposable cup, with, uh, you know, the sleeve and the yes. lid, which people don't realize that lid is made from polystyrene, the oh. same material that I mentioned before, and people are touching their lips to polystyrene, you know, sometimes two, three times a day. So uh, Bren did this, um, this study of people's habits, and most people are, are getting their disposable cup, but sitting in the store. So an easy thing is you can ask for a for here cup, a ceramic cup, and it just tastes better. It's more aesthetically pleasing. Or you, can, or you can bring your own mug with you. Yes, that's an, well, I, I never even thought about that. Will they fill up your own mug? Oh, absolutely. Not only will they fill, you, fill it, but they'll give you a 10 cent discount, which they don't really promote, but it's there. Ah, nice. So that's a really good, that's, again, that could be a part of your to-go thing that you carry around with you is a mug or, you know, a lot of times those, we're talking about those reusable mugs that you, they, they stay, they keep things warm, they're spill proof. They're pretty nice. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, all of these things that we're talking about here are really, they start with awareness raising. And here in California, I sometimes uh, lose sight of the fact that this isn't yet a household issue. (laughs) It's not yet mainstream. If you travel around the world, a lot of people haven't heard of the plastic pollution issue. All the solutions are out there, but what we need to really focus on is making people aware of the problem. So I think the best thing that your listeners can do is help us to spread awareness. Go to our website, go to websites of other organizations like Surfrider and Story of Stuff and Plastic Pollution Coalition and start sharing this with their friends and family and community um, because people have really great innovative ideas and we just need to start with getting everyone on board with understanding the problem. So not only uh, sign the the commitment that I'm going to not use styrofoam and I'm going to use my cloth grocery bags, but also to let other people know that you're doing that and share the word about this website. I think that's so important. Absolutely. And and that leads me to talk about our ambassador program. Um, ah, so we've, nice. we've been building an ambassador program over the years, and I, and now we have ambassadors in, I think, 29 or 30 countries around the world. And this is a chance for people to go a little bit deeper. If they if they want to be messengers, if they want to go beyond just making these changes in their personal life, but actively get involved in engaging other people. We have this program to provide people with resources, to provide them with a community, uh, to have webinars where we go a little bit deeper into the science or the policy and give people the tools they need to go out and be ambassadors for solutions. And we would love for anyone in your audience who's interested to contact us, go to our website um, and sign up to be an ambassador. Ah, that's so exciting. I love the idea of uh, grassroots leaders uh, developing like that. It's that's really cool. So I, I wanted to ask you one more quick question. And that was about the topic of composting and that you had mentioned earlier that you're into composting. And I know this is kind of off topic, but it's just something I'm, I'm kind of I, I saw this machine that you can have, it looks kind of like a trash compactor that you could have in your kitchen. Is mm-hmm. that what you use? Or do you actually just like take it outside? Um, well, first, let me say that compost is one of my favorite topics in the world. And the, <laughs> <laughs> there are big reasons for that. You know, when I mentioned becoming a vegetarian at age 14, I was eating a lot more vegetable matter. And I saw a Nat Geo article about compost, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Um, they had magnified all the, you know, little microorganisms to look like these terrifying beasts. So I started, <laughs> I started composting at age 14. I'm now 43 and I've never stopped. Um, no matter where, where I've lived, if it was a small apartment, I had a worm bin. If it was a place where I could have an outdoor compost, I would always go outdoor. Even in, in, when we lived in Brooklyn, I kept all my compost in the freezer and took it to the local co-op. It just is such a valuable resource that people are throwing away every single day. Yeah. So I have like three composts in my backyard. I can never make enough compost to, to feed my garden. But what I've learned recently is, you know, we're switching topics to climate change, that well-managed soil, regenerative agriculture can, can make a huge difference in solving climate change. Um, mm. And that's because well-managed soil will sequester tons of carbon. Um, in fact, there, there's a project called the Carbon Underground that shows that we could actually reverse climate change if we really scale this idea of regenerative agriculture. And to me, that's one of the most positive, inspiring things I've heard in my entire sustainability career, that there is a positive solution here. And it's as simple as letting soil do what it's supposed to do best, which is sequester carbon. And how do we stop that? I mean, what, what is happening that's causing that to not happen? 
Well, if you look at the way we do most of our large scale agriculture, we yes. mono, we're doing, uh, you know, monocropping. We're not using cover crops. Oh, right. So when you drive and you see these huge fallow fields, we could be doing things like planting alfalfa or other nitrogen fixing uh, plants that really help to to create balance in the soil and allow it to then, you know, sequester more carbon. Anna, I live in the land of the cornfields. <laughs> there are mm. cornfields as far as the eye can see in some stretches of, of Missouri and Kansas. <laughs> well, if I could suggest a future show for you, you should um, get someone on who can talk about soil and regenerative agriculture because I, I really think it's the most exciting thing going on in the sustainability movement. Ah, I would love that. Okay, so yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you after the show about that because that, that, that would be great. And, and then I think what I'm hearing you say, that's a kind of a similar thing that in addition to what can be done in a big scale movement, you know, like uh, farmers changing the way that they, they uh, handle large swaths of land, but we can also do some things individually, which is, is composting. Absolutely. And if you're composting, um, you know, I, I never use a plastic bag on, on our garbage. And people yeah. ask me, well, doesn't it get all wet and gross? If you're composting, you're, you're getting rid of most of your wet stuff. So really what's in my garbage can is only ever going to be <laughs> packaging, unfortunately. Mm. Um, so, so there is a connection to plastic. If you're composting yes. and sorting your organic material, you don't need a plastic liner on your garbage can. Ah, that's really cool, too. I didn't even think about the plastic. See, it's like plastic is so um, evasive, I guess is the right word, that it's like, it's everywhere. You, uh, uh, it's ubiquitous. That's what, that's the right word. But, you know, I never even think, think about the plastic that's in, you know, that we put, take our trash out in. Absolutely. Yeah. So you could just use a paper bag then if all you're putting in, in there is paper products anyway. Yeah, I don't use a bag at all. I just ah. you know, empty my garbage into either the, the recycling or the, um, or the landfill. I love it. And and uh, composting is something that we haven't done a lot of. And so that's going to be a goal for 2017 to add more uh, compost, composting. I'll have to, I'll have to do a future episode on that topic, uh, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. That's great. So I, I just want I just wanted to say thanks so much for coming on the show. If you don't mind, I love to end with a few fun, inspirational uh, questions. Oh, okay. Okay, so what's one food item you can't live without? Garlic. Garlic, ah, yes. <laughs> yes, I think I would wither away and die without garlic. <laughs> it makes everything better. <laughs> Do you do like roasted garlic? I just, I use it as the basis to just, uh, just about everything that I cook. And I'm growing yeah. a ton of garlic right now. So you even grow your own garlic and, and, and that's really nice because then you don't even have to go to the store to get it, right? It's so easy to grow. You can just, anytime you buy a bulb, uh, you know, take off one clove and stick it in the ground and you'll have a full head of garlic, like maybe six to nine months later. Six, six to nine months later? Well, I, I actually don't, this is my first big crop of garlic. So we'll see how long it's going to take. We've had a pretty um, uncharacteristically cold winter for Los Angeles. Oh, really? It's interesting that you say that because it's going to be almost like 65 here in Kansas City and it's February. So that's really unusual. We're having kind of maybe a warmer winter than normal. <laughs> Climate change. Yep. Yep, exactly. Okay. So um, if you could only listen to one band or music group the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh my goodness. That's a hard one. Um, I, I'm going to go with a composer because- okay. I'm, I'm, I'm an electronic music junkie, but I'm also a, a grew up with classical music. And I think my desert island composer would have to be Bach. 
Oh, yeah. Now, that makes me think that you must be a lover of precision. It seems like Bach is always into this kind of, you know, I feel precise when I'm listening to Bach. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a, there's definitely a mathematical precision, but also just a, a, yeah. a depth. And Bach speaks to me in a way that um, I think it's because I grew up listening to Bach with my mom, who's an amazing classical pianist. Ah, no, that's lovely. Okay, I love that. Okay, so one last question. What inspires you? Mm, um so many things inspire me, but I'm going to have to go with youth because I'm just coming off of an amazing youth summit that Al Golita put on down in Dana Point. Mm-hmm. And being, being around young people, and you know, mm-hmm. I also have a four, four-year-old daughter, gives me hope for the future. You know, We get to mm-hmm. a certain age and we get stayed in our ways and we get jaded and sometimes hopeless and overwhelmed. But little kids and, you know, up through teenagers still have this wide-eyed enthusiasm for change, you know, for, for the world, for the excitement of the world. Um, so when I'm around young people and see them bursting with enthusiasm and creativity, it, it makes me feel like we have a fighting chance. Yes, I love that. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay, so how can people find you online? People can go to our website, fivegyres.org, and here's where people can sign up to be part of our next campaign, to get our newsletter, to get news about all that. And then, um, you know, people can find me on Facebook or Twitter, um, and I'm just Anna at fivegyres.org. Wonderful. Anna, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I had a wonderful time. Thank you. Likewise. and Have a great day. Thanks to Anna Cummins for being my guest on today's episode of the Namely Marley podcast. If you'd like more information about today's show, just head over to the show notes page at namelymarley.com forward slash podcast. I hope you're loving the Namely Marley podcast. If so, there are a couple of ways you can help support the show. Head over to iTunes and Stitcher and leave a review. It takes only a few seconds of your time and it helps the show out tremendously and it really makes a big difference. You can also share about this podcast uh, with your friends on social media uh, or on your own blog or podcast as well. All of these things are really helpful and really greatly appreciated. So until next time, may health and happiness come your way today.